Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football, not least the Euros. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. Well, it was nearly off feedersane pet for Germany in their last game of the group stage of the Euros. Question now is, are they hungry enough to take England to penalties as usual on Tuesday? And it's judgment day for the Spanish Inquisition as they face Croatia in this it's a knockout stage of the tournament or for anti-Brexiteers, the Jeu Sans Frontieres stage of the Euros. And with all this great football on offer over the next few days, I cannot wait for Andy and David's Game of the Week picks. Gentlemen, last night, Germany versus Hungary, Portugal versus France. What a night. Put it into context for us, Andy. Well, I'm not really one to watch another game while I'm in the stadium watching a match. Um, And I was in Budapest for France versus Portugal last night. But I had to have the screen on Germany-Hungary, mainly because um, the the early Hungary goal meant it was game on. And the reaction in the stadium from the Hungarian fans – it was deafening. It was nearly as loud as the uh, noise that greeted the, um, the the Fiola goal at the weekend so, uh, against France. So from that point onwards, you had to keep a, a decent eye on it. Maybe not as much as, as, as you guys at home, but um, look, I, I saw enough of the Germany-Hungary game to know that Germany were fortunate. Let's, let's put it that way. And um, again, bringing back why they're so untrustworthy and they're, they're a very un-German Germany side. We always hear this cliche about, well, Germany is still Germany and Germany are in a, in a tournament, a Germany in a tournament. But you know what? I, I, if I were an England fan, I would feel pretty optimistic about this because um, this is not a Germany team that can grind results out. Uh, I think if you look at their uh, game going backwards um, at the middle game of the group against Portugal last weekend, in which they totally outplayed Portugal, by the way. Portugal were poor and Germany Germany were good. Um, Germany still gave up enough chances in the closing stages to have given away a draw in that game. And that would concern me from the Germany perspective. Um, England, on the other hand, have shown they can grind out results. That's all they've done so far, really. Um, but... Before we get too deep into Germany, I, I would like to have a word for for Hungary. Clearly, um, there are some moral issues around the regeneration of their football and the heavy investment that Viktor Orban has, has overseen, um, particularly in infrastructure and facilities. But for this set of players, what an effort. And I, honestly, I saw them going and getting an absolute hiding in Munich last night because they put so much physically, mentally, emotionally into that game against France on Saturday, which was the early game in absolutely sweltering heat. And the French players have talked about nothing else all week uh, other than how hot it is. Um, and they they ran so much in that game. I just didn't really know how much Hungary had to give. And that they did do that, that they probably deserved to win. And... Um, 
that you had the twist of uh, the goal, the opening goal being scored by uh, Adam Shaloy, who scored one goal for Mainz all of last season. It's an extraordinary story on so many levels. David, clearly Hungary, the weakest team in their group, were able to take on the Germans in the way that they did. And it made for such a, a fantastic spectacle. I, I think in a way, this is this was the game with all the twists and turns that has made the knockout stages of this tournament appetising at the very least. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it takes something like this, a bit of drama, and, and there was lots of that last night. But if you look at Hungary across the entire group stage, they, they arrived at this tournament as whipping boys. You always want the horse to do well because it creates a bit of an atmosphere and a vibrance throughout a tournament. But they turned up as whipping boys in this group, this group of death. Um, and every single game, they have given everything. The effort, the accountability from all the players, the, the team um, ha, has been sensational. Um, you've also got to remember they came with without the future of football in the country in, in Sasbalai, um, which I think is important as well. That they have, you know, that they have dealt with that loss really, really well, and, and I think it was fantastic. And I think moving forward, yes, as Andy says, you know, there's a lot to be said about how you know that their football is moving on in the country and, and the moral issues there but I think they can take a lot from this moving forward right and, and we can talk more about Hungary I'm happy to do that but Germany 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 what Andy said a moment ago David about you know the old cliche is well you know you expect Germany to turn up at some point in a tournament do you believe from what you've seen that that's going to happen um, no, I think they're at a different stage of, uh, of their development. I, I still think they're in transition in a lot of ways with, with several of the players. You know, they've got so many young players right now um, playing there, loads of different people uh, finding their way in the team. I think we saw again last night with uh, Musiala coming in um, as well, just another incredible young player who I'm sure we'll touch on a lot more. Um, you know, he's coming in and then he poses a question because somebody like Leroy Sane is uh, bringing absolutely nothing to the team. He He looks a player who's I don't know, just completely stalled in his development. There could be a case that he's regressed somewhat. Um, so I still think they're finding the way in terms of players and, and what they bring to the team and, and their responsibilities. So that's why we're not going to get this, uh, I don't know, this, this classic, efficient, organised German side anymore. Well, I think it's the senior players as well, isn't it, David? Because if you look at setting the tone for a, a, a side, I'm not saying there's no merit to to Hummels and to Tony Kroos. I mean, clearly they're both very dangerous from set pieces at the very least. And Kroos offers more than that. But they're not the most athletic. And if you're trying to take a team in a certain direction, I think that's why Musiala stands out so much when when he comes on. And we've, we've seen it for Bayern in the club season. He's someone who not only has a huge impact in terms of him being able to... To, to, to come on and just take the game on his shoulders, to take responsibility. It's the fact that he's quick, that he can go past people at pace, that he can pass the ball and move into space at pace. And yeah, there are other yeah. areas of that German team where that's not the case. And it, it just leaves this kind of unevenness. I think it's interesting how many problems they could pose teams if they had both Musiala and Nabri on the field at the same time. I think the potential there for them too, if they can, I think 
if I'm Germany moving forward, how can we have these two coexisting? I think that will be. I think that's something exciting for them to think of. Don't you both feel, though, nevertheless, and it's not just England fans will be interested in a matchup of England and Germany um, on Tuesday. Don't don't you think that England? can't afford to go to penalties nevertheless you know despite everything we say about Germany how should England set up to play Germany to ensure that they get it done in 90 minutes or whatever however long it takes you know what I think they've got to be tactically flexible and you look at Germany's biggest asset as stands it probably shouldn't be but it is their width Um, that's how they cashed in against Portugal and I just wonder if England are a little bit vulnerable. They're almost as narrow as Portugal in that sense. Um, certainly when they play with four at the back. So maybe there'll be a bit of a, a rethink there. Also, if England do play um, with, with wing backs, it maybe gives them a better chance to get around the back of Germany as well. So maybe that's something that could be looked at because um, England have looked very, very secure so far. But you're right, Don. It's about taking the jeopardy out of it. I, I do think England, as stands, are a better side than Germany. But getting the result is is, is something different. And they, they have to look about how they're going to do that. Now, of course, grinding out results is something they've done very, very well so far. I guess you have to ask yourself if, uh, if you're Gareth Southgate, is n- continuing to not score enough goals a risk? Because... We can talk about, um, you know, making playing chanceless sort of football and um, not conceding any chances. But you know, we we saw against Scotland they not only didn't win, they diced with defeat a little bit. Whereas if you get yourself in a in a position where you can, you know, give those attacking players a bit of a platform. Maybe that's the way forward. I'm a firm believer that boring containment football wins you these sort of tournaments. But on the other hand, I to take England seriously as a candidate for this, you need to know that they can change it up and be a bit more clinical in the final third when when they have to be. There's another issue, though, uh, David. When Andy says boring containment football wins you these tournaments, when when you saw the way that Germany came back time and time again, literally threw everything and the kitchen sink into getting the result against Hungary, 1-0 for England, it doesn't look that, that like that's going to be enough this time around. Fair enough, they've had clean sheets throughout the tournament, but nevertheless, against Germany, on 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 just the evidence of the way that the Germans came back against Hungary uh, last night, one nil ain't going to be enough. Um, I don't think England have really faced anyone yet. I think Germany have. They've been in the group of death. I think they've faced some uh, some very very good teams so far. I think Hungary raised their level. Um, I don't think England have really faced anyone who have posed them a lot of questions. They are about to in Germany. As as much as our Germany are a work in progress or not there yet or not as much of a, a, a side, a unit as England, I think they're going to pose them a lot of problems. And this is going to be a severe test um, of England who I think have to bring a lot more to the table than just containment. I, I guess my question to you, David, would be... Um there's so much discussion in England about Gareth Southgate and it's clear that 
a lot of the public and maybe media don't completely trust him. Um, at this point in time, writing off, well, not writing off, but parking what he's done in the past, do you trust Yergi Love to make the right decisions? Because I'm not 100% on board with that. I'd trust Yogi Lowe more than I trust Southgate. And also, I think um, Lowe has the the demeanour uh, of a man who is willing to take risks, who is willing to use his skilled players to the advantage of, of Germany. I'm still not sure whether Southgate is there yet. I still think he's kind of in a box somewhat and he's not willing to, to throw everything um, there in terms of the players. I mean... Um, I think what's happened with Sancho is is really, really poor. Um, and I think if he was a German, he'd have already played quite a few minutes so far. Why do you think he's making these decisions then, not to play star players? Uh, I just think different managers um, have different styles. Um, I think Southgate sets out not to lose. Um, I, you know, I think it's very much bare minimum, job done, it's okay, it's enough. You know, you get the point or, or I'm saying here. And, and that's why he feels like he doesn't need to uh, use those players. Um, I almost think he'd be better off without any skilled players and more just a, a squad full of workhorses. I think it would suit his management style a lot better. And you'd agree with that, Andy? Um, well, I, th- I think any coach of standing should strive to change and question himself uh, at every possible juncture. Um, I do find the Jaden Sancho situation a, a little bit bizarre. And just because Bukayo Saka has come in and done well in, in, the, in the game against the Czech Republic, I don't really think um, that should let him off the hook. And, you know, there are so many different ways in, in, in which you can use Sancho. I, I do think that he's a player you can use to finish off games and maybe that would take a little bit of a pressure off um, and, and allow them to play on the counter-attack a little bit more in the final 20-30 minutes. I mean, I know it seems reductive for a player of Sancho's quality, but I think embracing the full gamut of his skills would, would be really beneficial to, to England. Although he is on board with Jude Bellingham, so clearly he does watch Dortmund every now and then. Can they get the shot in? Werner into a forest of legs. There it is! Leon Goretzka! Goretzka might have saved Germany! Well, the other cracking game from last night, interesting that they were both two all draws, but the other cracking one that you couldn't take your eyes off uh, was Portugal versus France. Oh, my, my. Uh, D- David, do you, do you mind breaking down this matchup for us and what we can expect as a result of both of these teams neutralising each other, the world champions versus the European champions? Yeah, I, thought, I still think they're both uh, discovering things about themselves. Um, I think in Portugal's case, uh, you have seen uh, the introduction of Renato Sanchez kind of change the way that they approach games and also change the way 
in terms of what they are capable of. Um, I think he brings a completely different dimension to their midfield. I thought he held his own um, against Kante and Pogba um, incredibly well. Um, more so, I think, in, in fact, he, he, he really imposed himself enough that Portugal were controlling for a while before France readjusted. And then I think France are now seeing more and more, um, and this was evident during the World Cup, don't get me wrong, but I think they now truly see Paul Pogba as their leader. I thought he was sensational again last night. He's my player of the tournament so far. Um, he was an offside call away from producing probably the assist of the tournament, the pass of the tournament. Um, and I th- so I think they've just, I think they discovered a lot about themselves um, in, in that game. I mean, I think we have to big up David because David said going back last week, um, what Portugal need to do is they need to get Renato Sanchez in the 11 as soon as possible. And he was right. Um, everyone belatedly came round to David's way of thinking. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's 2016 Sancho. Um, he's fought really hard to get himself in this position where he can get um, back in the squad and he's in a good place at, at, at club level. Um, but in terms of energy, in terms of physical capacity, in terms of daring and invention, he's just a long way ahead of the rest of Portugal's midfield. And, um, you know, we, we've talked about various disappointments in the, the, the tournament. It's not an aspect that I particularly like to dwell on, but, um, you know, ov- obviously I, ex- I expect you to get stuck in about Turkey in a bit. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that for the moment. But um, Bruno Fernandes has, has been really disappointing so far. And um, I think there are a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, that um, he's played so much football this season, so much. And, he made light of that in a press conference last week and said, well, I hope to be the, the player who, who, who has the most minutes at, at this Euro as well. But realistically, he's, he's running on fumes. Um, also, I think possibly the bigger problem is he's not the leader of this Portugal team in the same way that he's able to be the leader on the pitch for Manchester United and he was for Sporting as well. That's why he fitted in so quickly at United because he was basically playing the same role, given the keys to the team and, and told to get on with it. That That is not the case with Portugal. There's a lot of cooks in there. And the, the, the problem is, if he's a little bit further from goal it does marginalize him um especially when he doesn't get to set the agenda because you have two midfield players in there at the the start of the the tournament in uh, danilo and uh, william neither are in particularly good form that they're kind of lumbering as well so that affects the ability of Portugal to move at pace. It affects the ability of Bruno Fernandes to, 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 to move at pace as well. And um, then, you know, as they were trying to gum up the game as they went on last night and it looked like a, you know, draw would obviously gonna, was going to be good enough for them. Um, you know, they brought on Ruben Neves, who does pretty much the same thing, uh, a, a sort of six out of 10 pace, you know, a, a very fine player in his own right. But, um, Tom Kunda of Portugal was saying to me today that you know that, that they're so reliant on Renato, and it's it's clear after this one game in which 
he attacked the game from the very beginning. He was shown France, who, who was boss from the start. Um, he had a massive impact. He can have a massive impact defensively as well because um, they need some cover in those wide areas and he can cover that sort of ground too. Um, so he's enormous for them. But if I've got one concern about Portugal, it it is still that protection in front of the defence. Um I think really they need to go with Palinha. Uh, Joao Palinha was great when he came on last night. Um, And really it was the injury to Danilo that that, that gave him his his break, obviously after he was hit by Hugo Lloris in the the first half. And Palinha showed that he's up to it. You know, he's someone who's a defensive midfielder who's more forward thinking, who's more positive on the ball. Um, So I, I think that would be really great if they could get him in. I think there'd be a good um, connection with Renato, but they need to do something to protect that defense because still, I mean, as David was saying, Pogba had an excellent night. He was, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, Or as Didier Deschamps said to me in the second half, at least. Um, (laughs) So he's clearly expecting a little bit more from him, but clearly Pogba has, an outstanding vision and an outstanding ability to pass the ball, but that he could do Portugal time and time again with a straight ball, albeit a very good straight ball, I think would be a bit of a concern if I was Fernando Santos. Having said that, uh, David, the Portuguese goalkeeper, Rui Patricia, pulled off an amazing double save, if not a triple save, that saved his team last night. You know, if you're talking about the defence, you you can't expect him to pull off saves like that time and time again, and not least when they go and face Belgium. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I'm I'm really glad that Andy brought up Palinha. I think he brings so much. He's, he's He's more combative. And I think there's a theme here in terms of the changes that Portugal made with Renato and Palinha. They're both proactive. I think Portugal spend a lot of time uh, with Santos being very reactive to what the other team does. I think those two players change the the dimension of the, the in the dynamics sorry, of the the team so much uh, more for the positive, as, as Andy has said. So I think there's some clear changes there um, that that Santos can make um, against um, Belgium. And Belgium will have to, you know, I think Belgium will look to De Bruyne, I think, to, to influence. And, and I think that is why they will have to have Palinia, um for the, for the next game. Yeah, although there were changes on both sides uh, from, in terms of the French and Portuguese teams and <laughs> perhaps some casualties on both sides as well as a result. Who, who do you think benefited more, Andy, from the changes that both teams made? Well, I, th- I think certainly initially Portugal. Um, I think it made a huge difference, uh, Renato's influence on midfield. But I, th- I think there's, 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 there's something to work with for France. The, the fact that they've changed the shape of the midfield, because basically they've worked out that they don't have anyone to replace Blaise Matuidi. Their idea was that Adrian Rabio would do that because he's left-footed. He's, he's not the same sort of player. Um, and what they did, that sort of reshuffle, so they have this lopsided 4-2-3-1 stroke 4-4-2 with Tolisso, who's not the same as Matuidi, but is also incredibly versatile, playing on this kind of this inside right role uh, to the right of Griezmann. I, I, I felt... It wasn't a resounding success, but it's something that they can probably stick with. And 
you know what? It it gave Pogba the ability to dictate from deep in, in, in a way even more effectively than he was before. And it worked better and better for France as the, as, as the game went on. Now, I, I wrote about this in The, in the, in the Guardian in my, in, in my um, article that I, I wrote um, for, uh, during the game last night, that the fact that in Euro 2016, if you go all the way back there, um, they made a decision, Didier Deschamps made a decision halfway through the tournament that instead of building this team around Pogba, we're going to get it to cater to Griezmann. So that's why Giroud becomes more important because Griezmann can play off him in that sort of second striker stroke, false 10 role or whatever you want to call it. Um, This time, it feels like they're setting up to get the best out of Pogba. And that could be absolutely huge for them going forward, I think, because they're still able to play the game. They're still able to be solid. They're still able to play the game at the pace that they want to play it. But I do feel that making that decision is the absolute key for France, deciding which one of their superstars that they're, they're going to lean on. And David, it's a, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like the golden state warriors, isn't it? That when you've got so many stars in the same team, everyone has to give a bit and it's, it's difficult with, for players of that stature. And maybe this tournament it's Mbappe's turn to, to to give a bit rather than be the headline act. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's any player at this tournament where there is still a lot more to come, then it's Mbappe. I think there's been a few sparks there from him. He had an incredible goal, disallowed as we know. Um, mm. Beautiful, beautiful finish. He's had some nice actions here and there. But it still still feels very much at the moment that he's on the periphery of both this France team and just this tournament in general. He's yet to really, um, I, I, th- I think, you know, have his moment. And he is one of the main superstars at this tournament. And people do look for them to, to spark. I think pretty much every other, when I'm looking around, you know, you know, Ronaldo's had his moment. Lewandowski's had his moment. Lukaku as well. A lot of the people who we were expecting to do something have done something. Mbappe, we're still kind of waiting now, you mentioned, you know, Deschamps says there's more to come from Pogba. There has to be more to come back from, from, from Mbappe, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I do like his all-round effort, though. I mean, I thought part of that new system, he got through quite a lot of defensive work on, on, on that left-hand side. I know that's not what he's there for, but with France, there has to be buy-in. That's what Deschamps demands. Um, but... Uh, also, I, I kind of wonder, because there's that lack of natural width, um, maybe that's where Mbappe gets involved as well. I mean, he's, he's someone who's a very underrated facilitator. He's, he's someone who can create. He's someone who's got an incredible football brain. And I wonder if if, if that's something that, that he does in this, in this tournament, something that he manages to, to help out with. Because what they try to do in terms of width yesterday clearly um Tolisso can't really do that he's not really a winger he's, he's played some fullback before but it's not ideal for him um they brought in uh Jules Koundé who I know, I know you rate very highly David and has had some some really good games actually uh, right back for Sevilla but only his second international tournament he, he didn't really manage to get that going um, perhaps because he didn't have someone ahead of him. I think that, that that probably didn't help. And France got a huge problem at left back where um, 
Luca Hernandez is being held back a bit by his physical state. And Luca Dean, who was brought on for him at half time, went off. And according to Deschamps, is probably not going to make that game against Switzerland. Now, I think they've got a little bit of fortune in that the Swiss is a game that, that they should win with some comfort. But, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about already having to shoehorn in Rabio at left back. They've, they've, they've got a few issues. How do you think they're going to they're going to find that width to undo Switzerland because it's, it's kind of a weak area for the Swiss as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just think they've got enough to see it through. That's that's the key thing, I think, with some of these teams. I think they can they, they, they can allow almost to have these gaps. So if they do shoehorn somebody in at, at left back, then I think they can, they can get away with it. Um, they have enough talent everywhere else. And, and this is the problem I think a lot of people are having that, we have these talented squads in front of us, these talented teams, and they are perhaps just doing enough. They're not really going above and beyond, maybe apart with the exception of Italy, I think, who have obviously been sensational. Um, mm. So I think France is one of those teams. Um, I think Portugal as well. As long as you've got Ronaldo, as long as you've got the goals, they're going to create chances. Um, then you are going to be able to, to get through in games. So I think they will be okay, even against a an incredible performance from, from say, uh, uh, Switzerland. Dotton, is this the one thing that we haven't really predicted this tournament? Of all the projections we made at the start, I don't think many people pegged it out as the revenge of Ronaldo. You know, that no one even said that he's definitely going to match the Alidae record. He's done it by the end of the group. I mean, I know there's some penalties in there, but he's he's bending it to his will, isn't he? I also very much like the way that because it's a, a sort of key moment in his career, he's combined his two iconic goal celebrations rather than just having to choose between one or the other. I think it's rather churlish of you to add that there were some penalties in there. He's still got to score them, mate. He's still <laughs> Look, got it's, to it's score just them a fact. against some great <laughs> keepers. <laughs> I, ne- I never said it was half a goal or anything like that. You know, they still got to be scored. You're right. I mean, you know, ask, ask Spain. Now every box is ticked and the European champions lead the World Cup winners. Well, let's ask David Cartledge with regards to Spain. Um, They seem to have come alive again. Mm. Is this a false dawn or is it the real deal? Uh, It's interesting. I mean, I think they probably played the worst team in the tournament in Slovakia. And you have to beat what's put in front of you. Um, And they did that, resoundingly so. So it's very hard when you wonder how much to read into this. I think there were some nice flashes there, but I don't think there was anything particularly in terms of, you know, substance that going forward that suggests to me that a corner has been uh, turned. Um, before the game, Luis Enrique said the quote about the, the cover and the fact that it's just about to be uncorked. The thing with cover is, okay, it isn't that nice. You, you go somewhere and you have it on entry. <laughs> you'll maybe have one glass. You'll enjoy a little bit of it, but you're not going to drink it throughout the night. You're going to turn to beer. You're going to turn to wine. You're going to maybe get a spirit instead. And this is the thing about cava. Now, Spain are exactly like this. I don't think you're going to be seeing... You're not going to be enjoying them throughout the rest of the tournament. 
<laughs> they're not champagne, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, they're, they're not champagne. They're um, no, they're, <laughs> they're probably just a, a they are that they, they are cava again. They, they are exactly like that. You know, it's it's not a great drink, but it's just something that is just gonna, you're going to enjoy. It's going to be refreshing for a while, but you're not going to stick with it. And Spain aren't going to stick around for the rest of this time. I don't think. Well, I think we have to say at least it was Carver. I mean, earlier in the week when uh, Antoine Griezmann was talking about Karim Benzema's goal drought, he was talking about turning the tap on and then the water would flow, which is uh, not quite as luxurious. But I, I guess in, in keeping with France's very uh, down-to-earth and uh, Griezmann's very uh, workmanlike image, I suppose... Uh, David, it does seem, though, no matter how much the Spanish turn on the carver, as it were, turn the tap uh, flowing with carver, that they still haven't found their ideal team under Luis Enrique. How can that be? Yeah, I think uh, the fact that Luis Enrique had to step away for personal reasons was a, a big factor here. I think just before then, uh, Spain were finding a, a rhythm uh, somewhat, and I think things were looking quite bright. Um, I think he's not at the tournament, but Ansu Fati of Barcelona was was bringing a lot to the team. It was very very exciting. I think with uh, with with him in, um, so they were getting there to an extent. Um, and then I always think it's it's also difficult when you are caught in between an identity. I think partly Luis Enrique wants to bring in his ideas, his style, what he had at Barcelona, um, but there's also still a little bit of those old Del Bosque values. Um, kind of kicking about and, you know, the, the tiki-taka, as it were, the, the passing, breaking teams down. Um, and they found themselves wanting to move away from that, but opponents don't. They will still sit in those deep blocks, frustrate Spain, force them to move the ball. Uh, and, and I think that's the problem that he's had there. Um, I think he got his changes perfect against Slovakia. They, they, they changed the dynamic of the team a lot. They were very, very good. But the the I think the... The main problem is still there in in Marata in scoring goals. Um, you know, I know they put five past Slovakia, but if you look at the spread of goals, you know, Marata wasn't amongst them. David, it's it's been something that's been bugging me for a while. I, I don't really want to get on Morata because, as mm. we said last week, he's a good player who's maybe not suited to a a, a certain role. Mm-hmm. But at the deeper they get in this tournament the more you think, how wasn't there a place for Iago Aspas? Because to me, he feels like a very Luis Enrique type of player as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't know whether Luis Enrique maybe looked at his age and said, look, how long am I going to have him around for? I think he's maybe trying to build long-term here. I think Luis Enrique probably sees himself being with Spain for the next few years. So he said, is Aspas going to be around for the next few years? And also, is Aspas very much built just for Celta Vigo and how they are, the, the talismanic figure uh, where everything revolves around him and it would be different with Spain? I think that's potentially something um, that he's looked at there with Aspas. But, I mean, I wanted, and I think you know this, Raul de Tomas from Espanyol. I think playing in the second tier last season mm. probably went against him. But his portion qualities are sensational. Um, he's... Uh, he's got the hustle of Morata, but I think he's a better porcher. I think he's a better penalty box finisher. And I, I would have taken him. Whether it's Aspas or D. Thomas or Morata, if the culture that you talked about a moment ago 
David, doesn't change. The culture of we don't really need a centre forward because we're passing the ball. If it doesn't change because other teams won't allow it to change, the result will be the same, won't it? You'll have somebody up there who's not getting the kind of service that they need to bang in goals. Yeah, you're, you're stuck in an eternal cycle, essentially. And, and, and you will have brilliant moments, um, as you've seen, you know, still producing incredibly talented players. Danny Olmo, Pedri, I think, is uh, one who has settled in. He, For me, um, Pedri looks like somebody who could have been in the, the great vintage Del Bosque squad. You know, somebody who would come on like a Cazola, you know, and bring exactly the same sort of values as, a, as one of the starters would. Um, so you, you will get those players, but eternally, it, it does look like there, there is a bit of a cycle, a never-ending cycle going on here with Spain. That's the thing. You, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, David, in that like they have these moments where they almost convince you for a second that they're old Spain. I think you look at the 6-0 win over Germany, for example, and it's just so slick, so economical, as well as enterprising. Do you think, <clears throat> yeah, they can do it, but... I, I don't know. I I don't see them going and doing that at any other point in, in this tournament. I'll be interested to see how they match up with Croatia simply because um, Croatia pulled something out of the bag in the last group st- stage game as well. But they're undoubtedly on the turn. Yeah. They've lost some experience. The squad is weaker than it was in, in World Cup 2018. Although the other side of that and I suppose it coincides quite nicely with Busquets coming back, is the fact that Luka Modric has had his best club season in probably two or three. And for my money, he's playing at a better level than he was during the 2018 World Cup, even if the pinnacles were were very eye-catching. I don't know whether it's him getting older, getting wiser, um, his view of the game and and how it's played um, is suiting him more. If you look at the games, um, a lot of them, you know, have been quite a slow pace, so it suits him. Um, he's not facing teams that will try and overrun him in midfield. I think he's capable of handling that. Um, so, yeah, he, he's had a, a new lease of life uh, somewhat. And, and Krish can definitely present some problems. Um, and Spain, um, I think, have to do things differently. Again, they have to present different sorts of problems to Croatia. Um, Luis Enrique can't keep serving up cover the people want Rioja <laughs> will they not do with Calimocho maybe or is that for the quarterfinals are you talking about me personally because you know I love Calimocho but <laughs> <laughs> well moving slightly away from the tournament for a moment but staying in Carver country Sergio Ramos has left Real Madrid. Memphis Depay is arriving at Barcelona. Whoa. I mean, two big, perhaps not earth-shattering, but nevertheless momentous moments, I would have thought, for Spanish football, uh, club football at the very least. Yeah, I think so. I think it's. Uh, I think he moves at a good time as well. I really, I'm a big, big fan of Memphis and his ability to produce the spectacular but also, I think he's shown as well here at this very tournament how mature he can be. Um, I know um, Jeannie Wijnaldum is, is very much uh, lead, the leader of this this Dutch team. But I think if you look at Memphis, I think he's he looks like a player in control. 
Um, and I think Andy will know this better than anyone, um, given uh, watching Leon mo- a lot more than me. Well, I, th- I think, David, the, the, the thing about him is um, he has a reputation for being flaky because he was stuck out on the wing, a position that he was never really meant to play. And then people complained that he didn't do his doggies. They're like, where's the defending? Well, he, he's, a, he's a forward player. He's, he was never meant to do that. And it was funny when he first arrived at Lyon, they used to live it, leave him having paid what a club record fee at the time for him. They used to leave him out of the big matches and bring him on as a sub to try and do something um, against Marseille or Paris Saint-Germain, as he did um, early in his career there. He scored a stoppage time against a winner against Paris Saint-Germain after coming on as substitute because he wasn't trusted to cover the corridor and to, to cover his fullback. Um, after using him in some of these big games and in making some big impacts as a substitute, Bruno Genesio had not, massively heralded coach, although he's got a good reputation at, at Lyon and players like Fak- uh, Fakir, Lacazette, Toliso, absolutely love him. Um, he was the one who said, right, let's just cut out the middleman and play him at centre forward. And it is, he's never looked back since then. Um, it's, it's made an enormous difference to him. And um, I think what we've seen with Memphis is, is just a real versatility as well. Someone who can dictate the play um, from behind a bigger striker or someone who can be the ultimate false nine on his own. I mean, fortunately for him, there's not any competition for that <laughs> position at Barcelona. <laughs> but um, it'll be really interesting to see what they do in terms of the forward players they have uh, because... Obviously, they've got a huge log jam. They would love to slim down. They need to slim down um, just in a wage bill perspective. I was wondering, David, when I was in Budapest last Saturday, how much of a blow that injury to Usman Dembele is, not in a sense of he won't be able to play for Barcelona, more in a sense of they won't be able to sell him for the foreseeable future because it looks like he's going to be out for about four months. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It is it's it's problematic for them. I think they've probably think that he's reached a ceiling with Barcelona. Um, the injuries have been too much for them. Um, they'd obviously it's a shame he's had so many injuries, and I think it's hindered his development. He should be further along right now as a player, but he's just not. And I couldn't agree more. It would have been ideal for them to to sell Dembele and and move on to a new chapter. But um, yeah, I think that's hurt them, and now they have to go back to the drawing board. And there's already talk of swap deals and such, you know, Jordi Alba maybe heading out as a swap deal to to Inter and and such. So that's the sort of thing that they will have to do again. I think we're all agreed that we've had enough sparkling wine for at least 10 episodes of On the Continent. So let's stick to the beer now, guys, as we ask you to recommend a game uh, to look forward to over the next few days. And you guys are spoiled for choice. We certainly are. Andy, do you want to go first? Um... Yeah, okay. In in that case, I'm I'm going to go obvious. I'm going to go Belgium versus Portugal on uh, Sunday night at eight o'clock. I just don't really know what to expect from either of these teams so far. Uh, Portugal, you could tell from the way they celebrated with their supporters at the end in Budapest last night, they were feeling those 2016 vibes. You know, a couple of Ronaldo goals getting them out of a difficult situation, 
getting them a draw that scrapes them third place. Just what happened against Hungary in game three of the the group stage in, in, in 2016. It feels as if they're a long way off the finished product, but they seemed even further off in, in, in 2016. So, you know, they, they do have the, the, the players, especially in, in, in the final third of the pitch uh, to, to make the difference and, and turn things around. I mean, we've been talking so much about Jaden Sancho, particularly here in England. I mean, Sancho coming on, for 10 minutes against the Czech Republic completely ruined my projected Twitter poll for the next day, which was going to be who's going to be the best player not to play a single minute at Euro 2020. Is it going to be Joao Felix or or is it going to be Jaden Sancho? Well, uh, we know the answer. It's, it's honestly conceivable that Joao Felix, with all his ability, might not play in this tournament, which is, I can see David shaking his his, his head here, is, is, is breaking his little heart. So what Portugal come up with is, is going to be interesting, but also Belgium, who I, I know a lot of people aren't really into, but I'm quite invested in them. I think if we're talking about teams grinding out results, they've done that against very different opponents and in very, very differing situations i had to put up with the whole like uh, emotional tidal wave at that start of um the game against denmark in copenhagen um that they didn't even have to get out of second or third gear to beat russia and you know let's underline they went to russia they went to st petersburg and beat russia they went to copenhagen and beat denmark and they're still getting some of their best players fit and um from that perspective i guess it would be really unfortunate if, if if Belgium got cut off at this early stage. But, you know, one of these names who were amongst the very favourites for the tournament is is, is going to be dumped out pretty early and um, they'll be hot and sweaty at the end of it with it being in severe. And David? I'm just really glad we didn't get uh, England versus Portugal because it just would have been two teams trying to outgrind each other. <laughs> and, I th- <laughs> and I think in turn, it could have ground down two entire nations. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, my game of the week, uh, Saturday, 8 o'clock, Italy versus Austria. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether Italy, the team of the tournament, I think so far for, for everybody, um, can carry on. Um, they're, they're, I think they're incredible group stage to the knockout rounds or have they peaked too early um, Austria made a very very intelligent I think some several intelligent changes against the Ukraine they were they were excellent against a, a poor Ukraine and Italy um, but I think they looked a lot better um, I think Alba playing from a wide role um, he, he was able to, to come inside and, and penetrate a lot more I think which was really really important for Austria and how they played it'd be interesting to see if they stick with that or whether they revert uh, to him at centre-back um, and yeah I think it, it's a really interesting context uh, contest there This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network.